Hello and welcome to the Cane and Rinse Podcast, Volume 12, Issue 583, in which we discuss Golf Story. Joining me, Ryan Zhao, in Issue 583 are Jesse Fuchs. Hello. Sean Fletcher. Hello. And John Salmon. Hello. Golf Story. I believe this was Sean's request. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. My request for the for the year. Yeah, Golf Story is a, a funny little game. It's a sports RPG of sorts. This discussion will contain some story spoilers. There is there is more story than you would expect from a golfing game. It's right there in the title. It takes up 50% of the title. You know, that shouldn't come as a, a major surprise, but uh, this, this has more story in it than most sports games are uh, going to give you. So, spoiler warning up front. This game was released on the Nintendo Switch on September 28th, 2017. And let me just check and see when it came out on all other platforms. What? It's never come to any other platform, not even PC. Wow, this is still a Nintendo Switch exclusive. I had assumed in the back of my mind that it had come out for at least Steam in the years since because uh, 2017 is, uh, you know, quite a while ago now, you know, a full six years back. Uh, But uh, no, this remains a Nintendo Switch exclusive, not produced by Nintendo, just a, uh, I I guess, just a, a friendly gentleman's agreement <laughs> that <laughs> nobody else gets to play golf story except for those nintendo switch players the credits on this one are a little bit odd and i'll get into it in just a moment but first of all the art uh, the pixel art in particular was designed by sohei dante wanman and valerie kim with exit mothership helping out with some of the broader kind of key art illustrations the composer for the game was joe studler who previously worked on Winds of Change and three games in the Kingdom Wars series. Nothing that I'm terribly familiar with, and we'll get into the actual discussion of the music later, but that is the name we wanted to reduce credit up front. And then with regard to the actual production of the game itself, the developers, directors, programmers, etc., those names are kind of surprisingly hard to come by. <laughs> they were not given any credits in the games like, credit section at the end of the game once you once you beat the game it's only the art and the music that was credited at the end of the game everything else is just credited to sidebar games which is the studio that produces it's a two-person studio in queensland australia i know that andrew newey is one of the members of this two-person team presumably but uh i i was not able to come up with the second name i, I looked all over the place. I tried to kind of do some digging, but uh, I was not able to come up with that second name. And so I, I greatly apologize for failing to credit one half of the <laughs> development team. I, I did my due diligence, but I wonder if there's some level of maybe wanting to keep out of the public spotlight or I, I'm not sure. It, it's it's a little bit of a strange situation. Does does anyone know any additional background about, uh, about this uh, sidebar team? Only kind of echoing what you've already mentioned there, Ryan, I had a little bit of a look around before the show to, to see what I can find out. And also remember kind of originally reaching out to these guys uh, a while ago for code on the game and things like that when I was work- working with future publications. But no, they just seem they're a little bit of a, an enigma there. There's a little bit of mystery there. It's um, even looking on their website and digging deeply into the press kit. They, they seem mm-hmm. to uh, keep things, yeah, keep their cards kind of pretty close to their chest. I kind of respect that, though. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a very humble way to, uh, to get your game out there. Anyways, the development history on this one, there's a little bit of a story to tell. This originally started life in development for the Wii U and did, in fact, 
utilize some of the Wii U-specific kind of dual-screen features to present its menu simultaneously with the gameplay. As the development timeline pushed, uh, which is what Andrew reports in some of the interviews that I uh, read with him, the development timeline pushed it into the Switch's time period instead, Nintendo Switch's time period. Although in other interviews, he said that front to back, the entire development period took around one year, which feels like a very short amount of time for something of this kind of quality and scale to come together. So I don't know if I I know that the team is this isn't their first game. It's the first, I believe, console release. But um, they've done some, I, I believe, mobile stuff and and maybe some web games previously. But uh, there's a there's a little bit of a kind of question marks that remain in my head regarding the time frame. A one year development feels short for this type of project, and also it feels strange that such a short development time frame would push you into the next generation when you weren't already targeting that next generation hardware to begin with. So uh, I'm gonna call that kind of like a maybe tentatively confident information at this point, and maybe we can kind of fill in some of the gaps later. Review-wise, when the game came out, um, it got a 78 on Metacritic uh, among the professional critics and uh, received an 8.2 as its accumulated user score, which is uh, which is pretty respectable. That's a, um, that's a very you know, high ranking for, uh, for this type of game. It won a Navigator Award for Best Original Sports Game, but I was uh, not able to find any additional awards that it won. But uh, overall, just a very kind of positive reception on the time of its release. No sales information to point to, unfortunately. This is sometimes the way of things with these digital-only titles. A little bit of uh, background. Wanted to get into some genre and influences. Obviously, this is a golf game. Um, not entirely straightforwardly, this is a, a golf RPG that includes quite a lot of exploration of the overworld and conversation and fetch quests and dialogue. And so, in that sense, I I think a lot of the very common touch point that I see in reviews and discussions is Camelot's Mario Golf Advance Tour for the Game Boy Advance, which also featured an RPG mode uh, to support its golfing gameplay. With regard to the golf itself. The earliest point of reference, and I'm not a golf video game expert by any means, but the earliest earliest game that I can remember that used the, I don't even know what to call it, the the the, the style of of swinging and hitting the ball, this this kind of meter, you initiate the swing, it runs along a little line, you determine point at which it stops, that is the the power of the swing, and then it, the indicator swings back, and you have to hit like a specific point on the line to determine its accuracy uh, so it's a little mini game to get the the ball hit as hard and as accurately as you would want it to be the earliest point i remember seeing that is golf for the nes which is uh, given a nice little reference uh, actually uh, quite a sizable reference in this game that we'll talk about a little bit later but uh I don't know if if any of the rest of the panel has more experience with golf video games. Was there maybe kind of a point before this that that mechanical implementation of the swing was utilized? I, I know that there were some golf games beforehand, but I don't know if this specific style of golfing was implemented at that point. I think that the first one to do it, and I should have rewatched my own video so I could be sure about this, but leaderboard for the Commodore 64, which is 
kind of the first 3D. I mean, it is a very primitive looking game, but very impressive and, and still playable in a way that, you know, a the Atari 2600 golf game is not, which is sort of a weird flat down you know, mm-hmm. why E.T. keeps falling in the pit kind of perspective uh, or the text adventure based version on the Commodore pet. But, yeah, it's it's the first one that is like drawing simple polygons and doing that. I guess I'd call it like a three touch system. Right. The, like just mm. the bop, bop, bop. But I think it's essentially the same one. I don't even know if that's necessarily before golf, because that's on the, you know, Famicom in like 84, maybe. It might have been independently developed by both people. It's just a good idea. But it's somewhere in that mid-80s realm, I think. Yeah, I had that version. It was I don't think it was the Commodore 64 version. I had it on my old 286 computer. I think it was branded as world-class leaderboard. And uh, it was the earliest that I remember that kind of three-tap system. I think maybe around the similar time as the as the NES game. But yeah, I'm not sure of the exact timeline timeline there. Right on. And then obviously since then, there has been a an explosion of golf games that have come out in in 2d and 3d in vr and uh, miniature full size all different types of golf um this one i think makes some interesting innovations uh to the system uh, with regard to overworld interactions and uh, utilizing the golf verbs outside of the golfing game itself so uh, we'll, we'll again swing back to a lot of those interesting innovations later uh, Sean, this is your request for the volume. Where did you first encounter Golf Story? So uh, interesting you say about it being developed for the Wii U. I remember reading some very early information on the game and then didn't hear from it for, for quite some time. So kind of forgot about it and then realized that it was surfacing again for the Switch. So I was a little bit of a late adopter with the Switch. I'm not sure exactly why. I think I was just still playing a lot of uh, games on my 3DS and I was commuting to work at the time. So I was kind of just in that rhythm of uh, trying to get through my 3DS backlog. So I didn't pick up the Switch straight away, but... um yeah, reading about Golf Story and, and kind of being interested in the game and looking back, it was actually the very first game that I installed on my on my Switch along with Breath of the Wild. So two very different games and um, I like to kind of bounce between a couple of games. So I um, I started playing that one on the Switch. A bit of background, I, I love my golf games. I'm, I'm a really big fan of, um, of golf games and some of my earliest ones that I remember, as Jesse mentioned before, uh, playing Leaderboard, um, playing the Tiger Woods series, and I'm a really big fan of the Everybody's Golf Games as well. So this one was kind of right in my right in my wheelhouse for, for things that I would normally play. So um, I love playing golf in real life as well. Uh, I'm much better at it when it's in the in, in the video game format. So this one, yeah, it was my nomination for a couple of different reasons. Um, I wanted a bit of an excuse to to go back to it again and and play through it again. Uh, playing Sports Story, it was it was quite a bit of a breath of fresh air actually going back to Golf Story after Sports Story because I think that game is definitely in need of some love and a patch. So and also it's a really it's a very Aussie game as well. You know, it's got that very Aussie sense of humor. And I was really interested to kind of discuss it a little more with you guys to to see if you enjoyed all the writing in the game and see if that kind of humor works for you in uh, in the same way that it did uh, did for me. So, yeah, it was my first Switch game and going back to it, it was interesting to see after all the other games I've now played on the Switch uh, over the last five or six years. Yeah, just to see if it's still held up and uh, I'm looking forward to chatting more about it today. Fantastic. Yeah. And on that note, th- we should put it into this context. It's good that you mentioned that that uh, this game came out in the launch year of the Switch. So even if you 
picked up your Switch at launch. Um, this was one of those that was uh, not fresh out the gate. It was a few months after launch, but it was uh, one of those games that was early enough to at that point where it felt like almost every game that was releasing at that point was getting at least some kind of attention. Uh, there was enough of a kind of gold rush on the Nintendo Switch eShop at that time that, uh, uh, you know, even if it wasn't for all the, you know, indie Nindy showcases and uh, Nintendo Directs that this one appeared in, it's uh, it felt like it had a hit at an opportune moment. Uh, Jesse, how about you? What is your history with this game? I was trying to find, apparently the Switch does not let you look at your order history past 2019. So I, I got some point for that. I, I'm pretty sure... I got it when it was maybe half off on the Switch store just because I'd heard about it. You know, it, it, it had some uh, hubbub and gotten some attention. I enjoy, I think golf translates pretty well to a video game format. You and I have played some uh, Walkabout Mini Golf in VR, mm -hmm. and that's one of my favorite, you know, social video games. I think it was it was probably, yeah, sure, a, a golf, a cute golf pixel art game, half off, I'll give it a shot. It was also the premise, and I do really like any premise where everything is centered around like a particular game or, um, you know, uh, the cannonball run. I don't know. You know, uh, the, the one Piers Anthony series I, I will go back to, despite the massive Bloodborne like psychic damage anyone reading Piers Anthony as an adult takes is uh, the Split and Fanny series, which is all about this game grid where there's, you know, this meta grid where you're picking a game to compete in those societies, blah, blah, blah. I do a pitch, a sample pitch in my intro class. We're doing game pitches about kind of like a, a Mass effect -y Epcot Center where every planet has their greatest cultural export. And Earth is, of course, the regular deck of playing cards. And it's not, you know, my little pitch, which I've never fully developed, is not unlike the golf story thing of just everything is centered around a substitute RPG mechanic that is not combat might be one way to look at it. Right. But that that idea, I'm just always... Yeah, I'll play anything that kind of is is going down a road like that. And um, I picked it up. I played, I think I got most of the way through the, the second, the caveman uh, area. It wasn't that I wasn't enjoying it, and I don't think I got particularly stuck. I just, something else came out. Uh, and then I just didn't go back to it until this show came around. And then about two months ago, uh, I played through the vast majority of this more than three weeks ago-ish, because I um, it got the benefit of me having uh, an intellectual complex about Myst uh, that I have described on that show, and therefore using this to procrastinate from playing Myst, which turns out to be a much shorter, in some sense, more friendly game. But yeah, you know, that that I was just kind of picking away at this for a month or two, um, and then put it down, and then, and then got stuck on the very last part that we'll talk about, and then, you know, came back to it a few days ago. Right on. My history with this game, I picked this up in June of 2018, so the year following its release. It, it had been getting very good word of, word of mouth ever since its launch as a very kind of novel, very friendly, uh, quite funny game as well. Uh, and that all appeals to me. I, I've, I've enjoyed golfing games before, but I wouldn't consider it one of my kind of points of expertise. Uh, I, I would play, you know, a little bit of everybody's golf, a little bit of Mario Golf from time to time, but uh, I hadn't really focused in on golfing games uh, in particular. Uh, but um, but yeah, I, I also got to, similar to Jesse, I got to the caveman level, which is the second course in which you golf. And then I, I dropped it for some reason. I think, I, I don't even remember. I must have gotten distracted by other things. But I think also there was the discussion floating around the game that the game was very long, a, a very sizable game. And I think 
it kind of discourages me from continuing on with something when I know that I'm just kind of chipping away at like very minor portions, uh, very minor percentages of the overall total game uh, with the kind of casual time I was putting into it. And, you know, maybe if it was a little bit shorter, like, you know, a five hour game instead of a 20 hour game, then I would have been more incentivized to kind of like blitz through it all in one time period. But uh, yeah, for some reason, I just kind of I'd left it at that point. And then when we picked up this game for the uh, this year's schedule, I just started fresh from the beginning so I could have game fresh in my mind again. So I have done a kind of fresh from beginning to end playthrough within the last, uh, I don't know, month or so. Uh, so that is uh, my history. My first time playing it all the way through was fairly recently. And John, how about you? Yeah, um, I also did not have a Switch anywhere near launch. I mean, obviously it's been quite a while now. It's, what, six plus years, six and a half years. Um, I think it took me a good few years to actually get a Switch. So I think probably just like sort of back end of 2019, I think I finally got one. Um, don't worry, though, I had Breath of the Wild on the Wii U, so I still got my couple of hundred hours of that in without having to wait for two years. I guess that's partly what um, allowed me to kind of hold off on it. Um, yeah, I think I think that there's a very high chance, even though this is purely speculation, that something you said before, like a lot of the reason that this game did well and received the amount of press that it did was because the Switch was in that real golden period at that point where there weren't that many really, really big games and the eShop for the Switch was quite new. And, you know, this is long before there was any sort of like older virtual console or whatever the online Switch thing is that gives you like old SNES games and stuff now. So a lot of these smaller games that were getting released consistently at this point probably received far more like attention and um, praise than they, they might do nowadays when there's you know maybe you know 10 times the amount of things coming out every week and they're getting buried by all the all the shovelware crap and stuff that appears on these these systems constantly so i remember hearing a lot of quite good things about this and as such when i did finally get my switch it was certainly one that i wish listed very quickly from the eShop, and i bought it at some point along the way but again as is often the case you know i tend to buy things and it takes me quite a long time to get to them often it takes like a kick up the backside to actually you know, do something for like a podcast or, you know, get cajoled into it for some other sort of slightly extraneous reasons. So um, I never actually, I didn't originally get signed up for this. This was supposed to be um, Brian's slot on this show and he's had some sort of emergency come up and hasn't been able to record. And it only uh, only kind of got talked about in the last couple of weeks, despite knowing that this game was potentially going to be 20 plus hours, I thought, ah, you know what, it might be quite good fun. It might also be a, a good way to actually finally give me the opportunity to play it or like the, you know, the incentive to go and play it. And also like, it's fine. You know, why do eight podcasts in a row when you can do nine podcasts in a row every single week? Like, you know, no more harm done there. So yeah, I, I decided I'd, I'd give it a bash. I wasn't a hundred percent sure if I would physically have the amount of time to get through it in whatever it's been like eight days or nine days since I actually agreed to to come onto the show but um yeah basically for that reason like the entirety of my playtime of this has been over the course of about the last week I would say it's not necessarily the best way to play a game like it's it's not how I would normally play something to just bash away for like four hours a day, especially when there's tons of other stuff going on. But I, th I guess I kind of thought of it as a, a bit of a challenge. And I'm not, I'm not like the biggest golf person. I certainly don't 
don't play it in real life like I did a couple of times when I was a teenager and just found it extremely frustrating. Like it's one of those things which maybe you could level this at a lot of sports and a lot of activities, but golf in particular as something that I tried out just feels extremely crap when you're bad at it. Like it's really, really demoralizing to do poorly. So I think my my kind of golf like interest now is relegated to video games and to be honest i don't don't keep up with the games very much i kind of like this type of golf system like this little tap system more than the i presume what the kind of intricacies of the proper like you know what you'd get out of like a pga tour 2024 or whatever might have released recently like i like this just little control like a little sort of eight-way directional thing and and like hit, hit three buttons to kind of hit in a certain way and like pay attention to a few different meters it's i think it, it kind of strongly draws back like nostalgia from playing things like that um that game on the old computers at school where the gorillas throw bananas at each other or like that that kind of very basic sort of 30 odd year old game and having a throwback that is sort of like that but mixed with like an rpg maker style snes rpg just I don't know, for whatever reason, seemed very appealing. So, yeah, I guess I, against my usual kind of inclinations, I think sticking it out for the week was, um, yeah, something that I actually enjoyed doing a lot. And it, it kind of kind of worked in some ways. Let's get into the actual game itself. Uh, let's start with the gameplay mechanics, and then we can work into the uh, story portion of it from there. We'll take the uh, the game in the order that the title suggests anyway. So let's start with the golf. Uh, the actual golf gameplay is, as we mentioned, this kind of uh, three-tap system, as uh, as Jesse named it. I think that's a pretty good way to think about it. Uh, this meters that fill up. You can also switch your, your golf club uh, to hit different distances and to hit at uh, different angles. Some of them kind of pop the ball up quite high. Some of them stay pretty low to the ground. But uh, a couple of the interesting intricacies of this game are that uh, obviously this is a uh, this is a top down perspective in a I guess a perspective that would be more commonly associated with like a traditional RPG. Uh, think about like Legend of Zelda or Pokemon or something like that, uh, where you are looking down from above, uh, and everything is two D sprite work, um, which. W- Although there is still like wind and uh, crucially the slope of the green at play, uh, that information is communicated to you in the upper right corner of the screen uh, with little arrows. I'll show you like the wind is blowing southwest with a, a strength of 12 and the the slope of the green is at a you know five degree slope and or I think it says like light, medium and heavy slopes. Um, and at the beginning, that information is a little bit meaningless <laughs> and it's a little bit difficult to judge because you have no visual representation. You think about stuff like uh, everybody's golf or hot shots golf, it was, as it was known in America previously, uh, that are completely 3D games. And you, know, you can get that, you can get the kind of overlay information that gives you a little bit more of the scientific readout of the, the specificities, but you could also like, kind of eyeball it and just based on your understanding of real world physics can kind of get a sense of like oh yeah i can kind of expect if i hit the ball here it'll roll this much before coming to a stop you know just based on 
my understanding of how you know golf balls operate in real world grass. This one, it doesn't have any of that like real world readability in that way, um, and so it, it does have to you you do have to rely quite a bit on the on the arrows and really get a sense of like how much the wind is going to affect your hits and how much the compensator or overshoot for the slope on the green. I, although I found after not very long at all, I became very adept at uh, reading those cues and I found it to be a very playable game. Um, how, how did those, those more kind of like, I don't know, digital readouts of that information uh, hit everyone else? I think as much as it plays a very simple game of golf, there's quite a lot of variation once you get into the game and once you start experimenting with the different clubs that you get throughout the game as well, that changes the the way that you approach your shots quite a lot. So as you experiment with the different clubs and your different shot selections, so you can add a lot more loft to the ball, you can add some spin to the ball. And when you start to understand that the way that the wind and the slope works, I, I think you can, you can kind of really start to narrow in and, um, and get very good at where you can kind of drop your shots and approaching the green for, for your best kind of next shot. So yeah, as much as it seems really simple on the surface, when you just start with that three tap system, it introduces things, um, steadily throughout the first few hours of the game that gives you different shot types, different kind of, uh, ways that you can select to, to take your shot and some, um, kind of power and spin options and that too. So yeah, it's, uh, as much as it seems simple on the surface, it's a little, it's a little deeper than that once you, um, once you dig into it. Yeah, I think the the thing that also adds to that is like the various different types of clubs. Like it is an RPG in the respect that you basically can also collect like different sets of clubs. You buy some of them, you get given some of them. Some of them are like kind of storyline things where you're forced to to go out of your way and get them. Like I don't know if you could actually go through this entire game and and basically just stick to like the the very first set of clubs that you start with and you know there may be one other set that you're forced to get but everything else is kind of as far as i'm aware is like extraneous rewards for things which presumably makes it easier but there's always an element where i was kind of looking at the the different driver sets and it was like okay well this one will hit it a bit further but also there's sort of a semi-implication that it then adds loft and like the more loft you get the more the balls tend to get caught by the wind and like buffeted by um by that sort of thing and there's like more or less run on so it's it feels like there is quite a like quite a tricky numbers game like buried underneath this with with absolutely everything that goes into it like you compare it to what some of those earlier games must have been on like more um you know, more primitive consoles and computers and stuff like the the number of different things that are actually going on in the background here must be like staggering in comparison. You see it with the the game that they insert into this 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 game Galf, which is in my mind is more like what the uh, Nintendo like original system version of, of yeah, the totally. golf game would have been like. And yeah, you you kind of look at that and think, well, I mean, in some ways, like mechanically, it's quite similar, but actually, like. You can you can see that there are many 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 more things at play here, and I think the um, the thing that kind of that beats it into you a little bit with this, if you're so inclined, is like because it's a an RPG game. There's like a leveling up system and a money system and things like that built into it. And like okay, maybe maybe they just appear in regular like sports games as well, but it felt very RPG like to basically have what are essentially side quests. And then dozens of the side quests are basically just like 
Well, this is an interesting way to try chipping from, like, better or worse ground or, like, into the wind or, like, putting an entire hole, like, or playing with a crap club that's going to, um, you know, that's going to give you a really poor amount of... Um, of actual distance on it so if you i feel like this is not really a you know revelation for video games but like if you're kind of consistent or like concise with this if you go through the area in the way that i would do with an rpg and kind of run around and do the side quest before you do the main quests i think that it does teach you a lot of the in the like the real deep intricacies within those and some of those challenges are really really difficult like some of the things that sort of chipping into the hole from quite a long way away or like hitting over water when there's a large amount of wind sort of coming back at you or like going across you or something really kind of forces you to understand exactly how the different clubs and the different types of hits and the different powers and stuff work so i think in that respect like the mechanics are, are really solid but it does kind of beat you over the head with it if you're trying to basically do everything i think when it comes to club selection there was a particular favorite set of mine where the drivers that allow you to that allow the ball to like skip across the water if it ever hit into the water instead of just plunking right in uh, that saved my ass so many times like that became my kind of permanent go-to driver set, uh, which is probably a little bit of a cheat. <laughs> I, I shouldn't be getting that close to the water water hazards to begin with. But um, as you get further and further into the game, uh, they become uh, the courses become less like greeneries with the occasional water feature and more like tiny islands that are connected by giant seas of yeah. of water uh, in between them. Archipelagos? I'm not great at <laughs> yeah, pronouncing yeah. that word, but yeah, the, the, the final, the Blue Moon Dunes is, Dunes is not, though. it's an archipelago, a series of them, a series of horrible yeah. The mechanics, it's a very interesting game, and I'm glad I played it, and I think there's a lot there, and, and, and Galf is a really good point. That's, that is a, an interesting thing for them to have put effort into, is kind of this meta version where they're showing you the original pared down video game. And then, I mean, there's all sorts of, if you, if people haven't played this game, if you hit X, you can move like the point you're hitting the ball on the ball. There's sort of shading it up, shading it down. There's the precision, like there's three or four different kind of axes that you can, um, you know, if you're moving the joystick, it'll do different things depending on those modes. Uh, and then there's the club selection and then there's, uh, everything else. And then there's the different shots that you can take, like focus, tee off, like sort of superpower shots where you can like, take a shot as if you're teeing off, even though you're in the sand bunker or whatever. Uh, a mechanic that somehow I missed until at least 10 hours into the game. Uh, but I had been, because I was also kind of doing the side quest thing, and because this is, I think the mechanics are kind of shaggy in certain ways. I think they're, they're, they're not elegant, and they are trying to do a lot. And I imagine if I was a, one of the game designers or like a, a, a playtester, you can get deep into this and, and, and really enjoy it. And I've played, you know, board games along this line. They're like, well, this is really interesting, but maybe there's a second edition of this that is more elegant and gets me to the interesting skill stuff more directly and doesn't, I would say a weird complaint I have about this game is it does feel like it hits a bit of an uncanny valley in terms of the RPG mechanics of like, there's enough you have to care about them, but there's not enough that you feel like you're making interesting choices that define your character. Mm. And sometimes that's a scale thing. I always think of a, an excellent, uh, 
VR game Falcon Age, where it just seems to have a crafting RPG system for a 20 hour game and it is a four hour game. And I made it a five hour game because I spent an hour crafting things thinking it would matter instead of just having a bunch of, you know, bird treats at the when it ended and being like, oh, okay. There's just that sense of things being the right size for the game they're in. Even though this is a pretty long game, the you know, you buy every item you come across, right? There's there's never a, an item I didn't buy where I had to, like, choose kind of a, a path, and that's fine. And I do think it is very effectively, in kind of an abstract way, using those RPG mechanics to do the classic action-adventure dynamic difficulty adjustment, which is you can try to plow through this on the main quest if you're Mr. Video Games, or you can do the side quests, and, and they will be tutorials on various mechanics of the games in the best-case scenario, plus those will give you powers that actually make the game somewhat easier. And because there is an interesting... I remember playing the um, the Tiger Woods game for the Wii was the one that actually, before Wii Sports Resort came out, came with the uh, Wii Motion Plus dongle. And I've always been, you know, big, big interest in motion controls and alternative controller schemes and all that. I was neutral on getting Tiger Woods Golf. I was like, sure. So I picked it up and it was really good. And and the, you know, Motion Control Plus definitely made it feel different, more like something like Walkabout. But because that game had a variety of RPG mechanics, it really accentuated the classic problem with dynamic difficulty adjustment, which is, is it me or is it the numbers going up? Right. And it was funny encountering that for the first time in a golf game that more physically realistic than any golf game I played before, but where there was still steady stuff going in the background. So anytime I made a good or a bad shot, you know, even though it was, it was, it was tracing my fine motor or gross motor controls in a way nothing I had before didn't matter. And I do feel like in this game, even though it is, you know, unlike that, it's a pure video game. It's turn-based essentially, right? Other than the three-tap system, it's not real-time. Uh, other than steering the ball occasionally in like Frisbee or whatever. But yeah, it's there's there's stuff to think about. A big takeaway of this game for me is I would like to read the long Jason Schreier chapter about it. Like, I feel like it it displays a lot of inspiration and a lot of maybe if not management or development issues, just like there is something shaggy about it where its attention is paid. And, and the idea that it was done in a year is odd, but maybe speaks to a little of they were inspired, but not necessarily totally coherent. With regard to the actual RPG mechanics, uh, the leveling up and such um, it's, it's interesting how this works. I don't know if I've ever seen this before. And I, I was always kind of intrigued uh, throughout the uh, throughout my playtime, once you complete any mission or complete a, a just a casual playthrough of a golf course, uh, you receive some money and you also receive some experience points. Uh, you end up gaining levels pretty quickly. It's it's never you're never too far off from your next level up. Uh, and then every time you level up, you get five points that you can spend across a series of stats i don't have those stats in front of me but the uh the number the first one is power and then there's stuff that's like accuracy spin whether or not you like hook the ball uh, yeah again i'm not remembering everything but uh, it's more of those kind of like fine-tuning kind of adjustments uh that determine like your your finesse interestingly you can see the effect that each of them has uh, based on where they currently sit in their like quote unquote power ranking, 
so if you have uh, your accuracy measure, if you choose to invest some of your five points into that one, you can see it go from like negative 10% accuracy to plus 10% accuracy. But as you level up power, everything else gets downgraded in a way. So it, it's kind of like power is like the running total that you're always kind of looking to push upwards throughout the game that allows you to hit farther. But if you just invest into power, everything else is going to be your accuracy, your finesse, like your control is going to be very low. It's going to be really kind of bottoming out. And so you have to do this interesting balance throughout the game of moving your power up in increments and then spending some of those additional points on uh, making sure that the other stats don't fall too far behind. Um, I never really kind of maxed or minimized any of them to the point at which I noticed like a serious difference they were making in the actual gameplay. I'm sure that there is some stuff happening under the hood that I wasn't able to detect. You know, there's a lot of other factors involved with, with regard to the number of, uh, with regard to the type of club that you're using, the specific capabilities that it gives you, the the wind. There's, you know, so many things that are involved in the in the play, the accuracy, the length that you're able to hit a ball um, that, you know, maybe it doesn't, read uh, feedback quite as cleanly as you know your power ranking in an rpg where you can see the numbers increase as they fly out of the enemies that you're attacking but uh but conceptually anyways it's a very interesting system uh i've not seen anything like it where there's kind of one prevailing stat that hurts everything else in a way but uh, i i was i was very interested in kind of keeping those numbers relatively kind of on par with one another uh throughout the game um how did this leveling up system hit the rest of you like you ryan i never quite got the hang of when i should be upgrading which kind of you know i i generally prioritize power i think i i would always kind of go for power because i just think you know the more power you can get the more likely you are to hit that par five green in two and be able to to putt in and i wasn't too worried about kind of you know losing a little bit of spin or losing a little bit of control to gain that extra power but I did find that when you really like for the long drive challenge and a couple of other challenges that come up, come up uh, when I really did pump a lot of points into power and I had, you know, hardly any control and not much spin, I did notice that made quite a difference to my, um, to my scores and, and, you know, kind of went the other way, even though I did gain that extra power, I didn't have that control around the green anymore. I didn't have the backspin, um, the loft, the lofting of the ball wasn't working quite as well. And, um, you also are a little bit more, you've, you've got more draw on your shot. So hitting those long drives, you can, you can get a little bit more caught by the wind and things like that. So I actually found that the stats, once I kind of balanced them out a little bit more, probably towards mid late game, my actual game got, got a lot better. And I was kind of uh, going back through a few of the old courses, long enough game. And then I went and kind of made it longer by playing through courses again to, um, to try and, uh, and better my scores. But uh, I, I had the time there and I wanted to kind of explore all the different clubs and shot types. And back to your point as well, Ryan, with those with the skimming woods that you were using to bounce through the water. I think that was a really clever way of the game, just giving you something else to get a bit of extra kind of length out of the, the drives as well, because there is so much water. I don't think they would have given you those kind of those tools to use if they didn't want you to play around and explore a little bit with that that's kind of the way that I could hit some par five greens, like, you know, by skimming a couple of times through the water and, and get there in one. So I thought that uh, addition to the game actually made it pretty fun and, and pretty exciting in parts. It's interesting. 
Yeah, like with the the um, level up stuff. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think out of the the non power stats, there's at least one of them that you're not really trying to increase. You're just kind of trying to keep it in in a level. I think it. Uh, I'm not sure which one it is, but I assume it's whether you're hooking or slicing the yeah. ball. Yeah, yeah, it's like right. to have a slight yeah, draw. Like the middle thing is called like essentially pure or something like that, or like purity or something. Purity, that's right. So when you're and I wasn't sure looking at some of the others, like the spin ones, so it had sort of a negative percentage and then a positive percentage. I'm thinking, well, surely if you just keep that in the middle, like keep it at zero, then you can touch the spin onto the the clubs when you're you're actually taking your hit rather than, you know, every single shot you do, if you don't touch it, is going to have like a little bit of backspin. So I kind of got into a rhythm where like every time I leveled up, I'd put two or three points into power and then just use the other ones across the rest of the board to kind of keep them all roughly in the middle. But it, it also has that feeling that like, I don't think the power stat does enough of an increase that you massively notice it. Like, I mean, I think by the end of the game, I was on level 34 or level 35. So that's a reasonable amount of points that you can stick into that power up. But it had only raised like my entire max drive by something like 15 yards or 20 yards from the the beginning of the game which is a thing that you can also equally achieve just by like switching to one of the sets of power drivers so like it it kind of felt quite incremental the actual like overall I, i did notice at the end you know i was driving 270 yards instead of 250 or something on the standard shots but when you've got so many other like ways that you can increase that and like switching the different clubs or using the power shot thing that you gain maybe a third of the way through the game. Although, as Jesse mentioned, like I feel like the game didn't explain that enough to actually realize that I should have been using those things separately. I think there's quite a long period at the beginning of the game where you start off and you have that access to the focus shot and it says on your on your like stat screen like it, it this shot like reduces like it allows you to not feel the effects of the wind at all. And I think for whatever reason, I just assumed that that was what happened when you hit like a perfect power shot because you get the little, like the little um, trail behind the ball and like the extra noise and stuff. So I think, I think I kind of that coupled with the fact that I guess when you do hit a pretty powerful shot like that, it often doesn't really seem to be that affected by the wind. I hadn't realized that that was an extra thing that you actually had to turn on. And then I assumed that the other ones were also just kind of things that would kick in automatically when you needed them for whatever reason. But like actually digging into it, although I might be just wrong about this, I might just have overlooked these things. But I think that there's a lot here, you know, massively, including the the leveling up that isn't as as explained to you quite as well as it could be. And from that reason, just kind of muddling through it and testing everything out and seeing how the different things worked and doing all those side quests where they they kind of tell you like right now do these little chip shots and lot you know hit this one high and the wind will affect it or like hit it low like that to me was kind of the way that I just figured all this a lot of this stuff out on my own and it sort of gets to the point where I was very frustrated sort of halfway through the game realizing that like when you're right on the edge of a green and you're trying to chip in then yeah, use like a sandwich or something because it's it's going to give you the least power. And then realizing that all of my shots were getting massively caught by the wind on the on the windy holes because you're just hitting it way up into the sky. And you know that that like twelve wind back in the opposite direction catches the ball so bad. 
but you can just do like a you know chip with like a four iron or something and just do like a little tiny one into the hole that then rolls and it's like that stuff to me like the the mechanical changes that you can make to your game seem to be so much more important than like the stats going up and down in different ways and i feel like you could kind of mitigate basically that entire rpg leveling up system just by like having different clubs or hitting the ball in a you know in a different way i found the design of the courses to be really interesting as well um they did a really great job of providing a lot of variety in the types of hazards and the types of uh choices that you have to make kind of on a moment-to-moment basis as a player each course has some kind of a gimmick involved you know the first course has moles um you can see a little ring around these moles that if your ball rests within their range then they'll pick it up and go drag it somewhere else the uh cheeky beak whatever the the cheeky beak peak uh had to kind of a similar thing with these birds that would swoop in and pick up your ball and then depending on the color of the bird they would take them to different places and there was one color of a bird in particular that would do something advantageous with it like all that more kind of like gimmicky stuff uh and like the um bouncing off of the back of turtles there's like little areas within the water that if you hit into the water within a certain ring then it will bounce off of the back of turtles and um usually overshoot what i was trying to hit on the other side of the land anyways but uh, yeah, all those those more kind of gimmicky things I thought were cute and interesting, but like not, uh, I don't know, not as like integral to me as I think the the more kind of fascinating, just the placement of the water hazards, the, I love the, like one of my favorite touches is I think towards like the halfway point of the game, you're in this old country club, this kind of old snooty elitist country club uh, that you know, you've been kind of seeing on the on the world map um, for quite a while. And it feels like, oh, this is this looks like a big time. Like once I get here, then, you know, my, the real golfing begins. Right. We're out of the kind of carnival zone of snow level and uh, and caveman level. I don't think you've been to the snow level by that point anyways. But that uh, that snooty country club is like massively overgrown and very poorly maintained. It doesn't even have like a green, like a putting green on most of its holes like most of the the grass around the holes are overgrown and so you can't really putt in that course you have to keep chipping which being forced to do so in that course i actually found that like oh i have i have pretty decent you know i have better judgment for the chip than i do for the putt a lot of the time so you know even in courses with greens i still kind of prefer to chip every once in a while but yeah, like each of these courses has like some interesting, you know, the the caveman course will have tar, which is like a sand trap, only more more intense. You know, the, the snow course has deep snow and has ice and has the, the beach level has a ton of sand, as you can expect. You know, there's there's so many of those interesting design design considerations for all of these different courses uh were there any like any particular holes on any of these courses or any of these design gimmicks that uh, really stood out to any of you i think it it was pretty consistently entertaining from level to level and i think that is a, a thing that kept me playing through it and, and uh, enjoying it i thought it was really consistent between the different courses i don't know if any particular I was always looking forward to seeing what kind of gimmick they would come at next. Because again, I, I I prefer mini golf to 
golf, you know, as I call them, real golf and colossal golf is what we're playing in this game for the most part until you get to the mini golf lounge, which we haven't discussed. And there's, again, another fun thing that they didn't have to put in here, but did. And and there's an exuberance about this game. I think the characterization through gameplay mechanics uh, at its very strongest is in your friendly rival, Lara, who is this... Um, yeah. You know, we enter the the first well-worn grove course uh, to try to find a coach uh, to help us achieve our golfing dreams. And uh, we see the coach, you know, coaching three or four different students. And Laura just looks like the absolute worst of all of them. She's uh, this pink haired uh, woman who always just kind of just beans the ball in the absolute, like farthest it could possibly go, like really impressive hits uh, but nowhere close to where they need to be. Uh, she's just like an absolute powerhouse. Um, you know, she has her power meter all the way up and everything else all the way at the very bottom. Uh, she has no restraint for her swing. It's such like a, a funny characterization. We meet so many of these like funny gimmick characters at the beginning. We don't know which one of them's, or which ones of them are going to stick around throughout the game, which ones are going to be important. And uh, she is one of the ones that that really does kind of take on a central character role throughout the rest of the story. And it's it's interesting because we can see her improvement. We're not oftentimes facing off against her in golf tournaments. A lot of the improvements that we see are in cutscenes and in little interactions in between uh, golf rounds. But we could see her uh, start to kind of learn to control her shots a little bit better. We could see her kind of learning some restraint and in some crucial moments, we can see her using that power to her advantage uh, very cleverly in ways that, you know, she absolutely wasn't doing at the beginning. And it's like, it's kind of inspiring in our way. It's like you've turned into a really good golfer actually by the end of the game. Like it's, it's fun to see that unspoken progress throughout the rest of the game, uh, throughout the, uh, the entire game and this parallel journey that's, um, of this other golfer who was kind of a comic relief at the beginning and then becomes, you know, a real kind of central uh, emotional core of the game towards the end. Yeah. And I think that that speaks to what's best about this game is when it, when it brings together what it's, and again, the whole conceit of it being, you know, kind of a, a world of golf, right? An RPG where all the boss battles are, are golf tournaments um, and where, one interesting thing, just I guess this is mechanical, but it ties into the story and it, it certainly ties into sort of the, the procedural drama of it that I did enjoy is that unusually when you're doing these golf uh, tournaments against another player, which we should mention are all nine hole. There's no 18 hole golf here. Mm -hmm. Imagine how long this game would be then. But they're all essentially winner takes each hole. Right. Normally, golf is by strokes. The final, the the Blue Moon Dunes Pro thing is by strokes, which means that if you have one hole where you screw up, you're just do like we'll get to the huge difficulty spike at the end. Uh, but for me, but but yeah, that that one issue with the Blue Moon Dunes is it's doing it by strokes. So if on hole six I just botch it, you know, I can't come back on hole seven. Yeah, and you kind of with those match play ones, there's uh, there's either two or three of those throughout the game you know fairly early on like you're obviously like the back of the pack so you can see by about the third hole like when the the person who's in second place has already finished you're like okay well i guess to beat this i only need to get like you know one or two under 
And you know, at that point, like three holes in, you're like super comfortably sitting there on like minus two going like, okay, well, I just par every single hole. And then you get one where you hit it into the water and it wastes a shot. And then another one where the greens dire and you get like a plus four or something at the end. And yeah, in that, like by the time you get to hole eight and it's like, ah, oh, crap, I've wasted 20 minutes doing this and I'm going to essentially get a game over at the end and have to do it again. So right. kind you're, of, you're, you're a dead man walking. It's like XCOM. Yeah. But then, but most of them aren't like that. Most of, I mean, that's how normal golf works, which is why, you know, golf is, is a game about having a certain kind of, uh, stoic temperament in a way that, say, tennis isn't, where you can be a John McEnroe completely meltdown in one set and, you know, then win the next two sets. It, it, it's, it's, um, just the, the numbers are compartmentalized in a way that allows you to have a really, you know, bad moment that if, if that happens in most of the one-on-one -on -one matches that you're playing, it's like you don't even get to finish, right? It's just like you putt, you miss, and they win that hole. And in fact, if you get six or seven holes into one of those and you've won so many holes already that they can't win, it just ends it early, um, which I thought was, you know, a, a nice touch in terms of why play this out. There's no possible way they can come back. But that's like an interesting choice for them to make. I don't know if maybe Australian golf is more hole by hole, but I've just never seen that in, you know, professional golf or walkabout does not have a hole by hole option. It's always, you know, whoever has the lower total strokes. But yeah, that, that it, it feels like an important choice in terms of how do you shape, you know, give those those uh, contests a certain dramatic shape that I thought was was interesting it made me think yeah it's a di it's a different form of um it's a different kind of way it's not t too much an aussie thing it's just match play is one way that you can play golf you've also got stroke play which is kind of counting each stroke and then there's also a variety of um of kind of team play where you can play uh like ambrose which is counting strokes and also your handicap there's a lot of different ways similar to darts how you can kind of score and and count golf and um and play it a little bit differently, but yeah. I mean, is match play uh, in golf? I, I've just never, you know, not that I watch a lot of golf on TV, but it, I've just never really seen it as an option in another. The, they don't do it in a lot of the, like the PGA events and things like that, but where you do see quite a bit of it is the, the, the events, the pro, they call it pro-am. So these events where there'll be a professional player that teams up with like a basketballer or, you know, an actor or mm. something like that. Mm -hmm. So in a lot of those ones where there's a little bit of entertainment kind of involved, a lot of the time with that, they'll play, um, they'll play match play. So it's kind of more of a, a hole by hole thing, which can keep it a little bit closer. So that there's not those right, kind of bl right. blowouts. Yeah. That, that I guess would be the point. It's it, it sort of like, little league if 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 you played that by stroke play there'd be a 10 run rule or something that's right and you can really get like if you have a hole in stroke play if you're going really well in golf and then you have a, a 10 or 11 on a hole it can be really demoralizing and really detrimental whereas with match play if you have an absolute shocker of a hole you kind of just write it off and and move on to the next one that doesn't matter so it's um yeah just a different way of kind of scoring and and tracking yeah yeah i mean i've got to assume that it's it's better for like you know, friendly matches, you against one mate. It's not going to work with 20 people or trying to get the lowest score possible. You're just going to have like a six-way tie on every single hole. Yeah, one-on-one -on -one is often a, a good way of, of, of doing it. Yeah, it can keep it closer between two people. Yeah. Yep. A couple of other uh, mechanical points I just want to skim over so we can kind of keep things moving here. Uh, obviously, this we've mentioned this has quite a bit of RPG dialogue and a quest structure, sub-quests. Um, that keep the game moving forward. Uh, but interestingly, this has an overworld traversal, uh, so to speak, so that every course you can freely walk around in and you can actually see all of the different 
holes that you play on if you decide to play it as a course. So you can basically just walk around the perimeter of the entire, and you know, it all takes place within that navigable space. I think there might be one or two golf holes that take place in areas that would be inaccessible on like mountaintops or islands or something like that, that uh, would be impossible to get to on your own. But like, it all takes place within like an honest space, I'll say, uh, which I find quite interesting. And you can, uh, at any point while you're walking around outside of a quest, you can just drop the ball and take a shot from anywhere. You can, you could practice these holes on your own. You can, you could play around. Sometimes there's even, you know, little um, fun interactions you can have with the environment. I'd say if this game was, you know, given four more years of development and was given a, you know, a bigger budget, it would be fun to have a greater number of those incidental interactions that you can have with the environment you know, whether it's like secrets to uncover in a, you know, riddle or trophy kind of way, or just, you know, little fun, like humorous interactions, like a humongous entertainment putt-putt type of, you know, environment. I don't know, but uh, it'd be fun to have like more reason to drop the ball and to tee off from anywhere. But it's fun that you're able to do that regardless. Usually when you have to do it in a, in the context of a mission, it gives you like it does it for you or it gives you very specific places that you have to tee off from. But it's it's fun that you're able to uh, to just play a little bit of golf whenever you want to. And you never have to worry about like whether you run out of golf balls or anything like that. But also we should notice that there are some alternative activities that you can play along the way as well. Not just golf, uh, but you can uh, and we can focus in a little bit on each one of these. Uh, there is a disc golf mode which um, you don't get to play as often as I was expecting. You get to purchase some uh, discs quite frequently throughout the game, but there's only really a couple of points at which you get to play disc golf. It involves throwing these kind of Frisbee-like uh, frisbee discs. Once they're thrown, then you can freely navigate them. Uh, you can control them in the air and guide them towards the, the Frisbee catcher. Uh, which I found to be a lot of fun. The control is a little not fiddly. It's it's very reliable, but it's um, it's not relative to the. Oh, I should say it, it it's a relative movement, not absolute absolute movement based on the perspective of the screen. So, if your disc is moving downwards and you press left, then it's going to go right because that is downwards by the or that is left from the disc's perspective so it's kind of like tank movement in a way kind of relatively i don't know there's probably a better term for it but uh any kind of impressions on disc golf anything that this really added to your experience or did you find it frustrating look i, I didn't mind the, the disc golf it brought me back to those moments of controlling the nikita missile in metal gear solid one when you're uh, <laughs> when you're flying that through air ducts and <laughs> yeah, yeah. and running it into uh, unsuspecting guards um so i i did enjoy that um but i think they got the balance right i think if every course would have had some disc golf i probably would have started uh, to get a little bit kind of over it by the end i i did enjoy the kind of golfing portion more than the um more than the disc golf and it took me a, a little while when when the first challenge came up i kind of read I, I thought to myself i don't remember this being as twitchy and as difficult the first time around but then i found that you could actually mitigate the difficulty a little bit by not throwing the disc as hard if you had to so if you threw the disc a little bit mm -hmm. softer you kind of had a little bit more of a, a level of control um steering it around too so once i kind of worked out those those couple of quirks i was able to kind of move on with it fairly quickly and 
Yeah, you, you, there are only a couple, you know, two or three different incidences where you play that through um, through the through the game. But I think they got yeah the balance kind of right. If I play if I was playing too much more disc golf, I think I probably would have started to skip some of those sections in order to um, to focus a bit more on the on the main quest. Yeah, it gets to the point. The last course is all the holes are quite long. I think there's about six of them, and they're all like really kind of pushing. You've you've got to kind of toss the disc about as hard as you can go for most of them and then you're like carrying it over uh, over water or like around trees and stuff so they they do get quite precise at the very end but yeah as you say the fact that there are only a couple of them throughout the whole game kind of makes it feel like it's not too much there's not any narrative payoff though which is what's it, it i like i think you're absolutely right in terms of sort of as a mechanical uh, side quest that it's good that they didn't put more of it in. It, it does feel like they introduced these characters. We'll get into the characters. I mean, the ex-wife is very odd, mm. but just in terms of <laughs> that's again, kind of the shagginess of this game feel. I mean, again, the, the Galf, why is Galf there? Cause someone had an idea for Galf and uh, they put effort into that. Doesn't necessarily have to have been effort. They were that much coordinating with anyone else on the team uh, in a sense, since it's just this sort of separate game within a game that you play. And there's just a lot about this where you you get a sense of, and, you know, the credits on this game are murky, of, of different people with different ideas and a lot of interesting ideas all kind of wrestling to get them in. And and just the, the yeah, the lumpiness, but, but the good fun of the Frisbee golf is a perfect example of. And also an example of what I was saying about the RPG mechanics of, right, they, you know, you get this, you get this upgrade of it. It kind of does tie in, I suppose, to the whirly putter that you get later, which turns out to be a, a putter that lets you control your shots after you've let them go. Um, so maybe that's the mechanical connection. I found it impossible and then it clicked and then it was easy. Like, it, I just didn't understand the mm-hmm. mechanic in the way Ryan was saying and then I did and it, it was it was a lot of fun. We've talked a little bit about golf that is pretty much as close to a recreation of the NES golf game as uh, you could do without Nintendo, famously litigious Nintendo coming and suing your pants off. It's a really nice kind of tribute to that, to that original game that I presume uh, had a lot of inspiration for them. Of course, that series of, uh, I think there were two golf games before they became Mario Golf, that that series. A lot of people still kind of lump those all together as a part of the kind of extended Mario Golf series. But uh, yeah, Golf, and then you could find Golf Seasons as well. So not only did they produce this, um, you know, fairly robust and accurate NES golf game, uh, but they also did a sequel to it and hid both of them in golf story. So again, just a tremendous amount of uh, content on display here. There is one there mission. Is, there and... is a third golf oh, sorry, game as well, by the way. It is oh, really? the reward okay. for finding all of the treasure catches. Cat caches. Oh, gotcha. Uh, does that one have any interesting differences? It's at night time. I think that's the only. That's golf okay. nights. Uh, is that right? Well, it's yeah. It's implied if you read the instruction manuals for these three golf games. I mean, they are kind of basically just vessels for jokes. But they kind of, especially the the third one, the Knights one, kind of implies that you're mm-hmm. playing golf in a in a world that's like being overtaken by robots, and you know <laughs> playing golf is illegal. So I think the courses have got um, they've got like spotlights and stuff on them that if you land in it, destroys your ball. It's basically like being out of bounds. So they're kind of like additional bunkers or water hazards or whatever like areas that you oh, have to wow. avoid. Interesting. 
So, yeah, the three Galf games, they are actually all surprisingly different from each other. For things that are basically inserted in here as, I mean, they do just feel like little jokes and little nods, but Mm -hmm. they're, Mm -hmm. like, shockingly fleshed out for for that purpose. There's one particular mission that involves some RC car racing. It's fairly simple, fairly straightforward, but pretty enjoyable, I would say. In a similar vein, there is kind of a separate course uh, in which you could do some drone racing, or rather... I guess drone delivery of uh, it's a little bit of a a different mini game. You have to drop you know golf balls into holes and keep your drone from crashing by I think tapping a button to keep it in the air or something like that. It's it's quite quite fiddly and a little bit hurt by the top down two D perspective. It was a little mm. bit difficult to tell like how close you were to the ground. I found myself crashing and burning. A little bit more often than I'd like. I never finished that one. That was one of the few activities that I didn't end up going through. But uh, it's interesting that it's there anyways. I think there's it controls relatively well, other than that the vertical, how far you are from the ground feedback. But uh, any any of these or any of the other kind of side quests that uh, that really stuck out to you, or the alternative play modes? I think the, the thing that surprises me about these two, the RC car racing and the drone stuff in particular, is like, as far as I could tell, they are just single things that you just do once yep, yep. and then they're, they're done. Like, there's no follow up quest. There's not like another course where they're like, okay, we'll do some drone deliveries on this one. So, the again, it kind of seems like the, the amount of effort that's gone into creating these extra mechanics and like the extra assets and stuff to do this. It feels weird that they've used it just once. Like I'm, I'm surprised. You know, at least the disc golf and the golf, they they came back to them a couple of times later on. I mean, maybe I just missed it. Maybe I needed to go back to an earlier course and find the RC car guy. Like once I'd done the first one and I didn't. But the idea that they've completely built these in for for one fairly small event, if that's true, is kind of surprising. And I think it's you talked earlier about the sequel to this, which I haven't played. Although playing this is kind of made me want to put it on my wish list and see what it's all about, even though there is a, you know, quite a strong implication that it's actually a significant step down from, from golf story. But like one thing that I would really like to see out of, yeah, out of this game would just be some of these things used a little bit more rather than there being uh, like just so many different chipping side quests. Could they not have done away with a couple of those to, to mm. add in an, a couple of extra RC car racings with like, Maybe doing it on the ice or the sand or something would have different a different feel to it, and it could have been more, you know, slightly more fleshed out. Maybe the drone racing could be different with, you know, like different wind speeds and different terrain and stuff, like, you know, holes that you had to drop it on and then use the the slope of the hole to run down. And I know it's, like, ridiculously easy to sit here and say, hey, that would have been a cool idea, devs, you should have done this. But, like, for the amount of stuff that they have put into the game, it feels like it's then surprising that there are bits that are used so little. I don't know if it's exactly a new mechanic, but there is also the secret mini golf course that you unlock with some of those free roaming Easter eggs in the in the first area, which is which seems like it's going to be something way more important uh, because it's this sort of, you know, the VIP lounge that you're being told from the beginning of the game to keep out of. So I assumed it was something very plot important that I'd, you know, come to you later. No, there's just four switches you could probably find in the first 10 minutes of the game, I suppose, that if you if you hit them all uh, while you're free roaming uh, on, you know, you can then go into this uh, 18 hole, I think, little mini golf course, which is all putting. I will say the putting mechanic in this game is one of the disappointments where it's it's fairly bare bones and doesn't 
really do much with it like often it doesn't really modally shift like a lot of golf games do but it, it actually ends up working out pretty well in kind of a little trick mini golf uh game and and yeah another as i said there's there's something about this game that w- it would not shock me if it was made in a year because though it would be extremely impressive because there is something shaggy and everything not exactly fitting together but everyone you know, getting their cool idea in to some extent. And there are a lot of cool ideas. We haven't even mentioned, you know, a lot of the set, you know, the, the skeleton army. I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, Jesse. That's my, they, they were my favorite kind of quests as well. The ones that weren't exactly explained to you where you had to look around and, and find a little bit. So I was, I kind of thought at the start there might've been those switches in each world and there'd be a little bit of a, um, a little bit of a challenge to do in, in each, but yeah, finding the switches and also kind of hitting all the targets in the aqua golf section and getting the kind of hole in one in the aqua golf section, you get some little bonuses yeah. from the, from the person in there. So it doesn't explain those things to you, but you just kind of like, like all good games when they, yeah, they use that language to tell you that if you do this, something good is probably going to happen. And that is enough to, um, to push you forward to see what the payoff is. We've talked about the golf. Let's talk a little bit about the story as well. So uh, the tutorial begins with you as a child golfing with your dad. As an adult, many years later, we return to the same golf course, seemingly post-divorce. I guess not seemingly. That is the explicit uh, state of the story. Very kind of strange place to start the story off on. Your character has just gotten divorced and now wants to go back and kind of recapture his dreams of being a golfer. The only thing that ever brought him happiness the course that uh, kind of our childhood favorite course is now run down and poorly maintained, owned by a shady golfer named Lucky who sells counterfeit clubs. We earn some money to pay for some golf coaching. Um, right at the beginning here, I wanted to read a couple of correspondences from the Cane and Rinse forum. Uh, this comes fr- this first one comes from Julia two thousand who says. So much around the golf is just bad or disgusting. Bad adventure game puzzles, bad disc golf, disgusting MRA adjacent storyline with your misogynist caricature of an ex-wife gloating about stealing your money. In the end, a game I'll always think about playing more of and then just think, better not. Mr. Ixalite said, I was a bit underwhelmed by the story part of Golf Story, not because I disliked the writing, but because I wanted more of it. I found the murder mystery and the whole dinner scene with the coach to be... Some of the most memorable parts of the game, but there could be long gaps between the set piece moments, and ultimately the game's narrative ends on a kind of a whimper. So, a little bit of a kind of polarized reaction from even within our own community. There, there was somebody who really kind of objected to the way that the story was told, and in particular this trope of the wife who is just out the door and is already, you know, in the arms of some other guy who's gloating about the amount of money that she's taking from you yeah you earn quite a bit of money at a uh a tournament in the middle of the game and she ends up taking half of it as kind of a what feels like a little bit of a hacky like 90s comedian divorce joke from these earliest stages and especially with the uh with these kind of alternate framings that uh julia and mr x light give us from the forum how is the framing of the story hitting you when I played this game a second time, I started it and then, I don't know, put it down for a week or two and then picked it back up and kind of got into an earnest. And the the ex-wife doesn't show up again until that tournament. And and my reaction was really, wait, I'm married? Uh, oh, right. Like, it just, it, it's, it's such a non-factor. 
And mm-hmm. I guess in retrospect, right, it's there to set up the beginning of the story, which is very tropey. And, and it just kind of slid off my mind. So, but I did certainly, it was, it felt weird and out of place. Um, in its, I mean, every character is, you know, the, the coach, everyone's kind of a grifter. Your character is kind of a, a Charlie Brownish loser. Um, who's always, you know, never, never gets to finish his sentence or something. And so, in that context, it didn't really bother me in the sense of if it didn't seem discordant, but it did seem discordant in the sense of I didn't even remember this being a plot point and it doesn't um, really tie in. in. In terms of the overall sense of humor, it would. I've recently read a big chunk of Akewood, which is a script that, that holds up extremely well in certain ways and not so well in other ways. But it definitely there were a few. Things that, that I don't know if these people were actual Akewood fans back in the mid 2000s, but they're a strain of humor in the same vein that I both enjoy, but you know, sometimes just feels uh, mean spirited because they couldn't think of a better joke. And you mm-hmm. know, that is a joke, right? Being mean. And, uh, and I don't know, it's you know, I've had the same reaction to South Park where you know. They can be very funny, and then sometimes there's something that's offensive or mean, but it just also feels like, oh, yeah, they weren't able to think of a real joke, and so that's plan B. I'm less offended than disappointed. There was a certain uh, kind of a meanness or uh, a little bit of a a kind of an ugliness to everyone, in a way. Uh, I think a lot of the comedy is well enough written that it does end up kind of resulting to like an overall gestalt of of kind of like a cozy good spiritedness like that's the feeling coming out of it that i have at least is yeah that was you know quite a humorous little romp um but you know in that in that very specific way like it does feel like like you're right like almost everyone that you meet is trying to like take advantage of you in some way everyone is kind of out there looking out for themselves everyone has some kind of like unflattering personality traits it presents this like almost kind of like uh, it's like slightly myopic view of the world that like it doesn't ever come across as like being edgy or try hard or anything like that but you know there's there is a little bit more of an edge to it a little bit more hardness to the jokes than i think i was expecting like based on the the look of the game that's why i was i was interested to speak to you, with you guys about the humor because i th- i think uh, those parts, those kind of overarching longer jokes, I, I didn't think hit as well with me as just the the back and forth between kind of you and Coach and yeah, yeah. you know yeah. Coach Coach having the bit of the thing. The he's very early on, very uh, you notice in the same conver- in the very first conversation that he's got a bit of a thing for Lara's new coach for Yvonne, I think her name is, and you know he does that thing where he he says, um, oh, it's customary for whoever wins the game that has to make dinner for the person. So it's it's obvious kind of what he's playing at without that whole thing but i found that that whole interaction quite kind of innocent and and playful so um those little jokes between between the characters once they get to know each other i found that stuff really funny and really chuckle worthy in points where i don't laugh a lot at kind of even video games that are intended to be to be quite funny don't often do it for me but this this game had me laughing a lot just at the little um the little conversations that they'd have throughout. I, I found that they had quite a bit of heart and were and I thought in the most part really well written. I think there's kind of an air of like almost like misanthropy about it. Like it's it's not I didn't really feel so much that the, the humor in it was kind of actively sort of mean. It's not really like punching down you just kind of get the impression that like I, f- I feel like maybe maybe I just read it like this that you're kind of 
an outsider in this world who, for some reason, whatever is going on, is like suddenly is ridiculously interested in in breaking into golf, and you decide over the course of like two days that you're going to become a professional and you want to play at all these courses that are all like right next to each other. And like every single course has like a theme and a group of people. And for various reasons, like everybody basically hates each other and definitely hates you. It feels like, you know, a lot of the story, it's not even about like, there's no kind of arc to it where everybody kind of comes to like you. You like, you know, do your RPG style quests where you kind of make everybody realize that you're a, a decent bloke and that they should be friends with you or like be impressed with your golfing like even all the way up until the very end everybody just hates you and thinks you're rubbish like thinks that you're cheating or like there's no way that you could have done this but like the kind of reality of it is that everybody else is an asshole and everybody else is like failing in various ways and it's kind of amusing that you start off the game and the first course is like the well-worn course and various people say that it's it's rubbish and that it's poorly maintained and that you know even like you go to the pro shop and like the bit where you decide to whether or not you want to play around on the course and if you select no the professionals like yeah i wouldn't play on this crap on of a course either but the reality is you then go to all these other courses they're all like every single one is for some reason worse than the previous one and the one full <laughs> of the people that are ridiculously snobby and call it like tidy or fine or something their course is the worst like you spend a decent portion of the beginning of the game helping that first course like possibly in their own words but like get it up to scratch and then you realize that all the other courses are way worse i mean you have greens you have like active putting that works you don't have a course that's covered in alligators and like birds that steal your golf balls and stuff like it's just this kind of weird like i don't know like this weird kind of double-edged sword thing of like everybody just seems awful to each other like nobody in this world is particularly nice or wholesome or like friendly they're all just like constantly trying to stab each other in the back and like maybe like you sort of push it a little bit and it's like well yeah we actually realize that this is terrible but it's not as bad as these other people so it kind of i don't know it's it's just like a weird sort of vicious cycle of everybody being dicks and it like to some extent that kind of works and it's yeah like you can kind of just laugh at how ridiculous it all is i never never really felt that it was like particularly offensive or like actually having like a any sort of like real world punching down effect but you know maybe maybe i'm just kind of more more hardened against that you know the fact that that just does seem to be a bit of a fact of nature unfortunately yeah no i don't i don't think it was i mean like you know i mentioned south parks that night yeah you know i don't think it was targeting anyone in that way and and even the sort of greedy ex-wife trope it just felt very sitcomic it felt very uk sitcom where there's maybe an exuberant cynicism black adder you know is is Mm. sort of an example Mm -hmm. of that kind of like it's funny and i mean black adder is an odd example to bring up because there's actual stakes at a certain point but no one everyone's amiable in this they don't exactly hate you right i mean they're cynical and mean and and they don't like you but there's a certain it reminds me a little of of the horrible realization in the arcade game frogger that these aren't even your enemies they just don't really care that you're there one way or the other you know you're you're (laughs) just whatever they'll run you over there's there's that sensibility which which 
can be fun in the right circumstances, right? You know, the Robert Zemeckis movie Used Cars has kind of that exuberant cynicism to it and kind of works because it's very slapstick and very kind of mechanically clever. And and I think an odd example, but the Sparks album Number One in Heaven is, I think, a great album by a band that I normally find too cynical, but is in a setting of this like Giorgio Moroder synth pop that kind of balances it out and has a warmness to it that you know, makes it all cohere. And in a weird way, what works about this game for me is that combination of like genuinely charming, cute pixel art. And I, I like the the dialogue is good and snappy. And again, kind of like has that equity ear for making each character talk differently and, you know, have kind of their own cadence to some extent uh, and timing. Yeah, I think I think that sensibility all coheres pretty well. I think there's a few times where it's it's predictable, where, you know, the the, the your character is really the only one who's getting punched down on. But but that you can kind of see it coming sometimes. And that's it's fine. You know, it's it's not a problem. It's just, again, this is a game that maybe could have used a little more editing and tightening time in various ways. We've spoken through several of the courses um, that you encounter through the through the course of the game. Start in well-worn, well-worn Grove, which is a pretty straightforward, by the standards of this game, course with moles that will carry your golf ball elsewhere. You move into Lurker Valley, which um, is a kind of caveman, dinosaur bone themed. Uh, it's it's the biggest departure from the previous hole. Uh, this is the point at which it becomes a little bit more Disneyland uh, right off the bat. You have to find a, a turtle idol has been stolen from the natives of this uh, of this course. You have to feed a series of fish uh, in the river. You have to befriend the turtles by bouncing golf balls on their backs to to certain a uh, certain zone. You befriend an archaeologist who teaches you to dig for buried treasure using your uh, your sand wedge. Um, it's quite funny in that way. Uh, you move on to Cheeky Beak Peak, which is up in the mountains. Uh, it's the one that involves the birds of different colors that carry your golf ball to different areas if you land within their zones this is a high wind zone with a lot of ability to uh drop off courses a lot of very kind of narrow courses that um you can uh you can lose a ball down the sides of these cliffs pretty easily from there i believe you move on to the beach which is again a lot of sand a lot of water uh involved um not so much on a uh green or a fairway perspective you're mostly uh, kind of chipping yourself out of sand, but um, I, I'd say that the uh, actually getting out of sand in this game is pretty easy to do. It doesn't really mess with your ability to hit that much, and oftentimes, in uh, lieu of better options, I would intentionally land myself in the sand just to be safe. Is like, well, I know I'm not going to roll from here. I'm not going to roll into the water if I land in the sand, and it's pretty easy to get out of the sand. So uh, it became kind of a, a refuge that I would take throughout the throughout the game. You move on to Tidy Park, which is, again, overgrown and snooty. I want to pause here for a little bit because there is a particularly charming part of the story, one that uh, uh, basically puts you on like a point-and-click adventure type of mission where you are investigating a murder mystery that may or may not involve a werewolf. Um, somebody has gone missing and everyone is locked inside the the golf, I don't know, the the, the golf cl- the, the clubhouse <laughs> to... Uh, uh, until the mystery is solved and you have to go on a series of what, what do we call them like trading quests like where you get one thing from one person and that goes to another person who gives you 
Uh, you know, it's like a, a Donkey Kong Country 3 or The Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening, these kind of chained trading quests uh, to unlock the, the secrets of this golf course and to determine what the what this werewolf mystery actually is. Uh, any any funny little points from this from this mission in particular that stand out uh, to to any of you? I remember liking how you would kind of have to go around and hide underneath the tables and overhear bits of conversation, oh, yeah. some that might matter and some that might not, but that gave you... Yeah, it was a... I mean, I used the word exuberance before another game this weirdly reminded me of very slightly, but but the original Nier, which has, you know, like a text adventure section and just will have these yeah. modal shifts where, you know, you'd like to have a beer with the people who made this game and just kind of chat with them about their ideas. Because like, well, that's an interesting thing to to chuck in here. And it worked, right? It was it was a fun, not unlike uh, the RC car mini game or whatever. Like, I think this game, even if it is a little shaggy and overlong, has a pretty good sense of balancing having a core mechanic the game is centered around with variety, with with having, you know, the stealth level, but it doesn't suck or whatever. I think it was um that was that was a bit of a high point of the of the game in terms of the exploration part. It was just a fun it was a fun um kind of trading quest in order to um to get to the to the end point there. But what I really loved was the uh the payoff at the end of that when you go back out onto the course and the old the old kind of snooty members of the course uh have a bit of an epic rap battle against the young members of the course <laughs> that want to spend a little more time there and that was one of the parts of the game that really i i think that's i think they hit it out of the park there i think that was a, a funny part i chuckled the whole way through that and uh, even without even without any voice acting just with the text i think it came through and it was um and it was really funny that part i i encourage people even if they're not going to play the game just to look up that part on youtube because it is um it is quite funny that section Though again, like kind of as a microcosm of the rest of the game, that rap battle is really, really long. <laughs> like it goes <laughs> on way longer than the joke sustains, honestly. Like it, it would have been funnier if they cut it down to like maybe like one fifth of the length that it goes on. But uh, maybe that is just the uh, there are some really good jokes in there. There's some really good like, yeah. golf puns, quite a quite good writing but yeah boy it, it really drags so that also feels like part of the joke right yeah like, yeah that's right i, I think that's kind of be, why i guess i had an abstract respect for it after a while yeah 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 i wasn't i, I right in, in a sense it would work better yeah from there we move on to another one that i want to pause on and uh, anyone who knows my personal proclivities will appreciate the uh the haunted mansion level this one has quite a bit going on from a mechanical perspective this one i believe is an entirely optional course until the very end in which you have to have like a scorecard from all of the different courses to compete in the final realm but like i don't think there's anything from the actual story missions itself that like pushes you in here unavoidably but this one's interesting because it kind of has like three different layers of progression like at the very beginning you meet a ghost who says that he's designed a par one course and so you you play through nine holes that can be accomplished you basically you have to get a hole in one so it's kind of like a kind of like mini golfing but you're you're actually hitting instead of putting the, the holes are quite a bit bigger so they have a little bit more like forgiveness to them but i found that to be quite enjoyable you can do them in any order as well at any time you just kind of roll up to any of the holes that you haven't done yet and you go ahead and knock it in and um once once you complete that you have to 
fight a wizard. I, I, I believe that's the next step. There's there's a, a wizard boss battle that you have to fight by hitting golf balls into him while he's throwing bursts of magic at you, which is probably the most like silly and absurd the game gets throughout its entire runtime. Uh, and then you do an actual like full nine hole golf, like a, a full size course as well. So there's quite a bit packed into this haunted mansion course. And then of course there's the uh the alternate course builder who gives you an even more challenging version as well. So like all in all, there's like three different courses that you can play as a part of this world. So yeah, this is Oak Manor. Any uh what are your reactions to like this wild grab bag of ideas that's all kind of packed into this fun, like spooky aesthetic? I mean I really enjoyed a lot of things about this course, but I also feel like the fact that you you cannot get here until fairly late on in the game, and like I think at the point that I arrived at Oak Manor, I'd ha- I'd already got like fourteen, fifteen hours on the clock, and it was just like, oh, is this just going to be like a a little quick side quest area? Oh no, actually, I mean it kind of looks a bit small when you start off it compared to a lot of the other courses that have got lots of people on to kind of chat to, and you you kind of get the impression that maybe maybe this one will be. It's just a little bit more slight, but when it actually comes to it and you end up playing multiple different nine hole courses, like it, it kind of, I, I feel like there's, there's parts towards the end of the game that kind of just felt a bit like they were unnecessarily padding it out. And the, the point that you've just mentioned where you get to that last course and it's like, yo, this is the pro course. We're going to have like a big tournament here. And the guy at the front of the thing's like, well, before you do that, you've got to go away and have a scorecard for all the other courses. And even though I'd, I'd kind of followed basically every side quest and stuff I could, I still had to go back and do like match play on, I think, two or three of the, the previous courses. Like, it just kind of starts to get that long in the tooth feeling. But I mean, the, the various, like, each of the different levels again has like its own little hook and its own very specific set of challenges, which, I think it kind of does it somehow manages to do both at the same time like it it felt to me a little bit like it was a padded out area but also somehow simultaneously managed to introduce a whole load of various different ideas and I think there's a point where this was also the alternate course that gave me probably more trouble than any of the other ones i think it starts to get quite difficult like you end up having to do something like six holes or seven holes in like 17 shots or something and they're long and there's a lot of hazards and stuff on it a lot of bouncing sort of across Mm -hmm. small areas or like landing very tight shots and having the ball stop quite quickly that took me more tries on this than i was i was kind of wanting to but like the um the flip side of that is the the kind of the one uh, par one hole course with the the holes that are like ten times the size, which in a game that I must have played goodness knows how many actual holes of golf, like hundreds and hundreds, and only got one hole in one on one regular hole in the entire game, like to have this kind of basically like slam dunk course that was quite easy, but like a different level of like a different challenge to everything that we've seen before like i'm i feel like i'm kind of beating a dead horse with this but i'm just kind of surprised at how frequently they can continue introducing new ideas that work like this far into a game of this length i came to this basically before tidy park so i i was in nice smooth 
procrastination mode, you know, taking time and just sort of enjoying the side quests. And yeah, I think this was more or less a highlight for me. I especially liked the um, the comedy of how easily your character is to order around that that uh, there, there's kind of a Bioshock ish, but, you know, maybe more subtle edge to to like everyone can just like sort of hypnotize you and give you these quests. And you're like, well, yeah, I guess I gotta do that. Which, again, ties into kind of the the benign cynicism of the game. But and I think that, you know, a slightly gothy course, definitely, you know, the goth kids were funny and cute and everyone's little schemes, much like the schemes with the moles on the well-worn grove course. Right. You know, the evil in this game is very amiable uh, because everyone's evil. (laughs) It's a it's a fun time. Yeah, I, I enjoyed everything about Oak Manor except for those pumpkins. They were massively frustrating when you thought you'd hit a really good tee shot and then you just get a bounce off those pumpkins, which in some cases could send you back the opposite way further than what your tee shot was. So um, that was quite the hazard on there. But yeah, that was it was a good one. Having to whack the eyes back into the into the skeleton and minions was was good fun. Uh, lots of little lots of little cool lots of cool highlights on Oak Manor. I think. From Ghost Manor, or from Oak Manor, rather, there is some ghostiness involved, but it is called Oak Manor. From Oak Manor, we move to a snow course. This one I forgot to write down, so I don't remember its name, but it is a snow-themed level. This one, I think by the time I got here, the game was starting to feel a little bit long in the tooth, and so I think just from an emotional level, I have probably a little bit less, like, a little bit less patience left in me <laughs> for some of the more kind of extraneous side quests. I uh, started to feel a little thin uh but um this this level does have again some very creative ideas at play uh there is a it's like a it's like a camp of ninjas or something of like or thieves that is like just off the side of the course it has like a hedge maze out front that is like a reference to pac-man because it's littered with golf balls and like a pac-man pac-dot style pattern uh, and you basically have to run through the maze and collect all the golf balls or at least like 900 golf balls or something like there's some number of golf balls you have to hit without being detected by the uh, roaming guards. It's not too much of a consequence if you get caught. It's not a big deal. But um, but that's a, a, an interesting little distraction. Um, the rest of the course involves golfing through the, the snow. Um, the snow is kind of like a larger sand trap. It'll kind of catch your your ball. Um, there's some ice that you'll bounce right over. There are some campfires that you can use to tee off a flaming ball and um, unfreeze some frozen uh, frozen park guests, which uh, I found to be actually a little upsetting to consider <laughs> all of these frozen people waiting on the course. And if, if we hadn't come along to save them, then they might just be stuck that way, thought out in the year 3000. But uh, yeah, I don't know any uh, any big takeaways from this golf course. It, it was the the one that I think that probably le- left the least impression on me personally. Yeah, I think it's probably fair. The, I, I, with the cold wind wastes, it's picking up those balls. I was really happy that I didn't have to pick up all of the balls that were in that that were in that maze because it was quite a um, quite a big area there. But um, doing that kind of little challenge and playing through the course, yeah, it, it wasn't. It definitely wasn't one of the highlight areas. And I also think it's probably out of all the courses, it's probably the weakest of the of the courses as well, in my opinion. Yeah, I I collected about 100 more balls than I needed to because I assumed, and and one credit I'll give the game is, I assumed they'd make me get all the balls. And I was like, and I always hate that because, of course, whatever you didn't get 
at the end is the hardest one to get by definition, even if other people found it easy because you've been avoiding it. Uh, and uh, yeah, then I looked at, at the meter and I was like, oh, no, I have 100 more than I need and was able to stop. But it was cute. Again, that was kind of the nearish thing of like, OK, this is a good swing at, at like this cute Pac-Man thing. But and maybe it's fun for pacing, but maybe this could end it up on the cutting room floor. There are some quests in there where you're like, where you're throwing the people and you're hitting the ball from kind of the fire. And and that was kind of a little more of the free roaming uh, aspect. It mm -hmm. wasn't exactly, but you're mm -hmm. still, you're dropping the ball in a, in a specific area, kind of figuring out the shot from there. That That's my main kind of positive memory of it more than the course itself is that the exploring the environment and kind of figuring out where to, you know, set flaming balls towards was, was interesting and kind of a fun exploration. And then finally, we move on to the Blue Moon Dunes, which is where we have our pro-level competition. Once we've received endorsements, uh, all the necessary endorsements to become a pro, uh, this again is the most challenging of the courses. I would say uh, there is more water hazard than there is, and then there is fairway in most cases. It's long as well. Yeah, like yep. all of the the holes are, are considerably longer than they have been. I think this is potentially the only place where unless there's some sort of trick that i never picked up there are a handful or at least one or two like par three holes that it's basically impossible to hit the green in one shot which is not usual for a par three mm. hole as far as i'm concerned but you've then also got what i think is apart from some weird outliers like the the game's only example of a par six hole at the very end of it mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so yeah like the holes are long they're very tight with the water like small amounts of areas that are actually easy to hit out of um the the only benefit with that tournament at the very end is that the scores to finish it are not that bad i think to win you've only got to get better than par at all which is hopefully not too difficult but still took me about four times of getting to about the eighth hole and failing it and realizing that ah, crap. Yeah. I think it took me like two or three tries as well. The first one I did was I was on a really, really good course. I was getting birdies and eagles on almost every hole. And then I got to the final hole and just completely like whipped it on the putting, like right at the green, like right at the very end. I just completely like failed to sink the ball multiple times and ended up running my score up really high. And, uh, disqualified me from the match unfortunately so i had to try again but uh yeah quite a uh quite a long and challenging course yeah i think that kind of takes us through the course of the game one other uh a couple other points i wanted to hit uh let's talk a little bit about the presentation the artwork we've talked a little bit about the the perspective that it takes um but uh, i just wanted to kind of give a shout out to like the expressiveness of the sprites it has this funny thing that you usually only see in japanese video games where like the main character has this like weird bouffant that like i've never seen a real person have but it's like this this tubular bouffant you know what i'm talking about from like all of the animes <laughs> and i always look at it and i always think like what does that represent in real life like wh i've never seen it before but uh he, he has this this very kind of anime typical strange hairdo but uh, yeah, all the all the characters are very like recognizable, very distinctive. They have a lot of like personality built into the actual sprites themselves. Uh, the game is very colorful. It makes very good use of like appropriate color coding. Um, I found everything on the course to be very readable, with maybe like a couple of small exceptions with regard to like whether or not you can hit, like whether or not a hit is going to kind of like graze the 
leaves of a tree or whether it's going to clear the tree, uh, it, like very kind of small quibbles like that. Um, but otherwise, yeah, very readable. Uh, I, I found the art to be quite an accomplishment in this game. Um, any real kind of art highlights? Some of the the sprites of the characters in in that way that there's always doofy kids in the backgrounds of a Peanuts comic or something that just crack me up of just some buck tooth just rando. Uh, there's definitely some models of just like that's just some chump uh, that every time I saw them I kind of chuckled. I'm thinking of one in particular who's hard to describe, but uh, just kind of uh, yeah, that's a guy. There's one reoccurring background character who looks like. He's dressed like uh, Marty McFly's son from Back to the Future Part 2. Was that the only one? That... <laughs> I think that's the one I'm thinking you know I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. One. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I think uh, overall, my only real issue with visibility and kind of readability is actually it, it does kind of limit you on control of looking at the whole mm. at the whole hole that you're trying to look at. You can, you know, you can push it on the joystick and kind of scroll around a little, but it is weirdly limiting sometimes if you if you didn't catch the exact path uh, in the kind of initial overview. Uh, but otherwise, yeah. it's definitely trying to help you, you know, and it's definitely um, and I found it. Yeah, just kind of, I mean, I think that was the again, the thing of it being kind of like a good a good game to be assigned when you're procrastinating on things that hurt your head more is it was just a very pleasant thing to look at. And until that blue hole moon course, uh, I only lost one. Like I didn't get a lot of game overs. I got pretty far into it. Uh, it was, it was not unlike with portal where I started getting afraid because I had never actually uh, gotten a game over and I didn't know what the consequences were death. And it turns out it just, you know, sends you to the menu. But I think it wasn't until it might have been the Oak Manor that I actually, you know, lost a head to head or whatever. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, a lot of what was pleasant about it as just a, a good shaggy vibe was the jokes are pretty funny and it is nice to look at. And it's nice to just sort of bop around and explore in this little pixel world. Yeah, I, th- I really like the graphic style of it and the and the presentation overall. I think every area had very strong, you know, it's got the ice area, the snow area, it's got your your green hills kind of area, it's got your beach zone. They were all really well realized and the people in each one were were different enough that it um that they felt like, you know, even though you're not going too far in terms of in terms of distance, um they felt different enough and like you're actually kind of going around meeting different people, playing different courses. And then finally, let's move on to the music just a little bit. I don't know if I have a ton to say about the music. I I didn't find any of it particularly stand out uh no disrespect to the composer i think the artificiality of the instruments was pretty noticeable based on like when this game released like even for soundtracks that are uh composed electronically and using kind of midi style of uh of composition like i'm used to hearing instruments that sound a little bit better and a little bit less like yamaha keyboard than this one in particular did so i i don't know this uh the music didn't make a strong impression for me personally um but uh does anyone have anything to say about the music or the rest of the kind of sound design for me it just blended into the into the background a lot of the time which which look i'm i'm guilty of saying that quite a bit i did wear headphones for most of this game and i really did try and tune into it just so i had a bit more of a better opinion to to kind of to kind of talk about it but it, there was only 
it's it repeats a lot of the tunes. I quite like the the whimsical kind of tune and some of the sound effects that it plays. When you're in Well Worn Grove, I like that. I like that tune that's playing. But um, yeah, I'd, I'd say that was kind of a high point. But in in terms, it's all really it all works really well, and it's it works well with the areas. But but I'd say it's just kind of at that um that serviceable point without without being brilliant. I think there's a few good little jingles when you get the birdie or the bogey or whatever. Uh, I think the little little tune lits and sound effects are well done. I no recollection of the music. Seven out of ten. <laughs> yeah, the sting the stings are cool. I like the little stings. Yeah, I I have to agree with both of what you've just said. Like the music was all perfectly serviceable, but not anything that I'm going to remember particularly in the future. I mean, I think you know there's enough areas in this game that just having like different themes that kind of blend into all of the what have we we got like eight courses with all like very different kind of themes it's almost like sort of going through a banjo kazooie world and you know it's no no disrespect to kind of banjo kazooie to suggest that the music might be kind of on par but the idea of having like the different (laughs) themes for the very different um like different settings and stuff is i think impressive in the fact that they've just managed to fit so much of it in here but Mm. yeah i kind of struggle to to remember it very much but as you've also both said like the the little sound effects, the little stings and, and things kind of for what you want out of a golf game, I think fit very well for it. And yeah, it, it, it's extremely serviceable, but nothing that I can sing the praises of too highly. We have a couple of community correspondences about this game. These come from our forum at canermints.com slash forum, where we have a complete list of the upcoming games that we're going to cover for the remainder of this volume. You can hop on into our forum and give your own feedback and potentially have them read out uh, in portion or in full in one of our upcoming shows. No More Sparrows says, while I love Golf Story in terms of it reviving the feel of the Game Boy Color, Mario Golf and his GBA counterpart Advance Tour, playing the game makes me genuinely feel bad. With every character's snarky comments and insults, it makes the gap between their remarks and my performance, not to toot my own horn too much, but I had a fair share of birdies and eagles, that much more noticeable. But if you're making a game where the protagonist is supposed to not be good at golf, why are you, as the player, allowed to be good at golf? That's where the Australia thing sticks with me. I feel like it must be some sort of local humor, some ability to poke fun, that I'm just too sensitive to really laugh at. It's a strange case where it feels like if I was worse at the game, I'd be able to enjoy it more. Nick Tendo says, G'day! Golf Story came out at the best time back in 2017 on the fairly new Nintendo Switch. It was just what the doctor ordered, a retro sport RPG with an easy pick-up-and-play mechanic. I enjoyed all of the local Aussie humor and banter. It was very rare to see it translated into a game so purely and honestly. Just a ripper of a game about a sport I'm not very keen on in a world map that looks eerily similar to my country. I have to say, on that note, that uh, that final second reveal of where it zooms out of the overworld and it is perfectly in the shape of Australia, I found to be a... Uh, quite a quite a funny <laughs> joke like uh one of those like i was looking at this the entire time and i didn't even know it type of uh reveals that was um yeah well played i like that <laughs> i got a strangely patriotic kind of feeling when that when that came up i was sitting next to my <laughs> yeah. wife on the couch when i rolled when i kind of got to that point and rolled credits and i like turned I had to show her the screen and i was look look it's australia we're represented in the game and i don't know i don't know why we kind of all feel that way and you know but not a lot not a lot of video games besides a few that i know of are set in australia so it's uh so it was cool so, like correct me if i'm wrong on this sean as well you're probably more more knowledgeable than i am but like 
Is it also the case that like the different regions in the game, like the different sort of weather systems on the courses are not massively like different to the different states in Australia, like to kind of represent Tasmania as being like snowy and like Queensland as being kind of the beach area. And you have that whole haunted area of Australia as well, right? Oh, yeah, the whole, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah like, the ghosts of the territory, that's right. <laughs> There's a lot of churches in Adelaide, actually. It's known as the city of churches, and churches uh, are known to, you know, with the haunted <laughs> things, so it could be something to do with that, I'm not sure. But Interesting. Yeah, it does. It does. It's really, it's cool how it kind of represents that. And look, one really funny part for me is because, um, Tasmania just being slightly detached from the mainland. Yeah. I actually, I actually thought when it started to zoom out, I thought it was going to forget Tasmania. And I thought that'd be a really funny other kind of in joke because we often do forget our, uh, our poor rallies from over in, in Tasmania, but <laughs> they were represented. There was a bridge down to Tasmania with that small uh, area. So yeah, that was, that was really nicely done. That, um, that just made me, that just, you know, gave me a nice big smile. I feel like that's also kind of part of the joke because you've got that little section off the bottom of the snow course where like it's it's really extraneous like there's a lot of points in this where you do go to a like in the world map an area that's not actually one of the courses and there's usually something there there's like yeah you know there is like a little archipelago at the top and you go to it and there's something else there or like there's a bit on the world map where you can dig or you you go into like a separate little space but that bit at the bottom that's basically tasmania you go down that bridge and there's just a landmass there but there's nothing to do on it and it kind of tripped me up on the way i was like was this gonna i'm gonna get to some point through this snow area and it's gonna unlock this spot down there and there'll be like a you know an actual clubhouse or something proper to go to and it just never comes through and maybe that is the kind of thumb in the nose at tasmania it's like well you're there but there's there's bugger all to do there mate that there's like yeah that's right there's not really a whole lot going on yeah no real reason to go. We have a couple of three-word reviews. We post a call for three-word reviews on our Twitter, our, on our X, and um, on our threads as well. I believe we have, uh, yes, we have a, a presence on, on the Facebook Twitter now. Whatever. It's a stupid world we live in. At KNN Rinse, you can follow us on all of those platforms. We'll post uh, a request for, for reviews in three words or fewer. So... Uh, just a couple of them this time. I'll kind of blitz through quickly. Nick Tendo says, fair dinkum game. And James Carter, uh, I, I really appreciate this one, James. He says, big birdie, which I appreciate as a two-word review comes one under par, which makes it which makes it a birdie. So, um, yeah, self-referential. Yeah, <laughs> Good job, James. Let's give our summaries on this game. I'll start us off pretty quickly just by saying that uh, this game, I think, is a a really solid golf sim under the hood. It's a a very fun. Well, I shouldn't say sim. It's it's an arcade golfer. It's not like a simulation golfer, but it is a plays a it plays a damn good game of golf. On that level alone, it is very enjoyable. Uh, the RPG stuff I found to be quite humorous. Uh, a little bit like maybe a little bit more kind of like mean spirited than the type of humor that I I tend to gravitate towards. But like overall, I think it was. Uh, quite funny and um, ended up kind of resolving to a quite charming gestalt overall. Like most of all, my biggest takeaway is that I'm so impressed by the variety of the game in this kind of frog fractions kind of a way where there's just like a lot of effort paid to something that maybe only pays off once throughout the entire 18 hour game. And uh, I, I just kind of, I appreciate and respect that level of dedication to very niche, very singular jokes. And uh, I, I'm just continually impressed by how much, how many ideas 
are in this game, how much attention has been paid to each of them, uh, how much it gets right, even in the wake of a couple of things that like maybe didn't pan out 100%. And it sounds like maybe there's a little bit more in that direction in the sequel. But um, yeah, I, overall, I find this game to be very impressive, uh, very charming, uh, quite fun to play, perhaps didn't justify how long of a game it ended up being. I probably would have appreciated it a bit more if it was like maybe half of its length. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, you can't really fault them for putting in too much of a good thing. Uh, you a really solid game overall. I, I, I quite enjoyed it. Let's move on to Jesse. Well, the first thing I'll mention is we never brought up Heinrich, who's my favorite part of the game. Uh, the golf simulator. Kid. Oh yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, when you go into the <laughs> when you go into the building and they have their like super high tech VR golf simulator, it's just like a little kid standing next to a screen and he tells you how you did and he's never wrong. Um, like that's the kind of yeah. I mean, it is impressive and it says a lot of good things about this game that we've been able to talk over two hours about. You know what we would think of as kind of a small game on some level. Um, and there's plenty of interesting, fun things we did not mention. I wonder if they will remaster this and bring it to other systems. And I feel like there's some interesting story behind the intelligent, very talented people behind this somehow getting a little muddled where instead of bringing this over to PC and what, you know, doing sports story, which seems on an objective level like a mistake in that I had never heard of it if I, we were not doing this podcast. Clearly, there's an incredible amount of talent there, and I hope they... It'd be great to see a remaster of this. I think there there could be... I think with a, a, the distance of a year or two, they could they could tutorialize some of the mechanics stuff better, uh, edit things a little, bring it to other systems, and, like, people would... There's a very solid game here. I had a good time with it. Again, it, you know, partly, I think you've got to be in the right mood for it, and... But I think if you find it on sale, I mean, if I, you know, I played five hours of it the first time and put it down and it wasn't like I regretted buying it. You know, I had a good time uh, for those five hours. And um, yeah, I, I, I give it that kind of a recommendation where if you're interested in those ideas, then you should, you know, you should make the effort to power through those first five hours and whatever speed bump Ryan and I hit that made us put it down in the tar pits. Right on. Uh, John, how about you? What is your overall takeaway? Um, I, overall, I kind of really enjoyed my time with this game, which is, I I don't know, like I've mentioned before, like I realized that I was going to be on this podcast and played through the entire game over the course of basically a week. And, you know, that's probably not quite the way to play this because there is a huge amount of like very, you know, just repeated content in, in the game. I mean, as you kind of expect out of a, sort of a simulation golf uh, golf experience like i think it's probably better played as as a bit of a slow burn just picked up and you know do a few story missions as and when and you know from that point of view like it's it's quite a long game it's it's got some really interesting ideas that the you know story will even after sort of 15 hours will throw a complete curveball at you and show you something that you totally don't expect like that that murder mystery scene coming in like three quarters of the way through the game was uh, on one hand it kind of revelation that they're continuing to innovate that far in but on the other hand it's like well i mean this is this is making it you know kind of making it kind of worth its runtime like to to continue doing this stuff but 
I feel like if you're if you're kind of just interested like purely mechanically in in playing like a little round of retro style golf on your Switch, which is you know pretty fun experience as far as I'm concerned, you could also do the thing of just picking this up and you know, playing it for those first few hours and see the original course that you get to go to, and you know you will you will see like the majority of what the game has to offer just through the actual you know the basic like mechanics in the first course, and it's potentially you know, as as fun to actually play on that course as any of the other ones later on. So, like, whether you're into it for, you know, 20, 25 hours of storyline and ridiculousness and daft jokes and the things that kind of feel like they're starting to overstay their welcome but then somehow miraculously pull something new out of the bag, like, or if you just want to, you know, hit nine holes of essentially, like, crazy golf and, and mess about a little bit and whack some balls at some people's faces and see them respond to it, like... It's kind of good either way. It's like I'm. I don't know how they managed to spin this out into the length that it is, and it kind of works in that respect with some padding, to be honest, as it gets on at the end. But I think for you know for whichever whichever interested, um, you know, like whichever way you're interested in coming to this, it, it's definitely worth checking out, even if you don't want to sink the entire amount of time into it. So I think for for what it is for the the kind of the switchy shop like pricing and stuff on it it's it's definitely worth checking it out if you're at all interested in in like golf video games or even retro style rpgs thank you very much and sean this was your request so you get to finish this out today yeah thank you yeah look i i think you guys have already covered a lot of the um a lot of the points that i wanted to kind of make in my in my final so i'll make it fairly short i think uh golf story is a game that i really enjoyed i enjoyed it the first time that i played it and it holds a, a special place for me because it was the first game that i played and completed on my switch and going back to it i was pleasantly surprised how much it held, it held up and i still really enjoyed it on that um on that second playthrough and probably went a little bit deeper and kind of did everything this second time around tried to make sure that I you know replayed all the courses to try and get good scores did all the side quests so that I so that I saw everything and as I did play it over the course of about a month and it was just dipping in for an hour or so each night as much as it was quite a long game for the for the style of game it is I, I to me it didn't kind of overstay its welcome but you know your, your mileage could vary on that the the general humor throughout the game was um it aligned with things that i find funny i i liked a lot of the kind of throwaway lines i found that the the breaking of the fourth wall can can be to me personally can be sometimes cringeworthy if it's not done in the right way but the way that it was done in this game was uh, the character was very self-referential he understood that people were asking him to do ridiculous things and he just uh, like all characters in these RPGs they're just generally happy to um to do some to do someone else's bidding because you know you need a storyline and all that so look really really fun game enjoyed it a lot i thought the golf mechanics in it are, are just as solid as they need to be we brought it up a couple of times on the podcast, but the putting for me is probably the the weakest part of of the whole uh, golfing. In fact, I found myself even on short putts sometimes, kind of taking out the sand wedge and chipping from the green, which you'd never do in a normal round of golf. It was a viable tactic in uh, in golf story. So yeah, really for me, it's a recommendation, well worth playing, and um, yeah, it was great chatting with you guys today about it. Thank you. It remains for me, Ryan, to thank Sean, Jesse, and John, as well as our correspondents, plus, of course, you for listening. Next time in issue 584, we go light speed into the future, into the past with Sonic CD. 